This episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arno, and this is a really cool episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories. We recorded live in Seattle last month as part of some festivities surrounding PAX, a giant gaming convention that the Nerdalogs have been lucky enough to be a part of for the past three years. Uh, our friends at Cards Against Humanity helped us put together a really great lineup of speakers, including their own Claire Friedman and Henry Birdseye, Kathleen DeVere and Graham Stark from Loading Ready Run, and one of the designers of Exploding Kittens, Ilan Lee. Uh, we had a ton of fun recording this episode, uh, even though it capped off the end of a very, very long day, and I think you'll all enjoy listening to it. Uh, I'm pretty light on Nerdalogs plugs right now. We just came off a busy weekend of stuff that hopefully you got to catch. Uh, but as always, I want to mention our bevy of fantastic podcasts, including Talking Games every Tuesday, and BSing with Mary Beth Smith every Wednesday, and The Catch-Up, which is a post-apocalyptic rock and roll radio show uh, every Thursday. Uh, also, of course, we've got to thank our sponsors for this episode, Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> They're just all over this one, I guess. And thanks as well to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for all the support. The co-op is a wonderful thing, and we're truly lucky to have it. Uh, if you like your stories, maybe you can drop us a rating on iTunes. That would be pretty cool. Uh, we've got new episodes coming out every Monday. Our next live recording will be Sunday, October 18th at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago. Uh, we're actually going to do a Halloween episode this year, which I'm really excited about. We've never done that before because our release schedule never allowed for it, but now it does. Uh, so hope to see you there for that if you can make it. Uh, for now, enjoy this show. The theme tonight was chosen by Cards Against Humanity, and they picked, I don't know why, Cards on the Table is the theme tonight. Uh, so you're going to hear stories about that. We're going to do some songs that we thought related to the theme. Uh, so here's the direction we took that. These are songs that you think they're about one thing, and the artist says that they're not about that, and they're in fact about something different. Starting with, uh, this is this is a song that you think, oh, it's just about this artist's like, fun rock and roll summer days, <laughs> but it is in fact about reciprocative oral sex. <laughs> uh, if anyone is from Canada, you guys owe us an apology for this gentleman. <laughs> one, two, three, four... Real six string, bought it at the five 
and I'm Played it till my fingers bled it was the summer of 69 Me and some guys from school Had a band and we tried real hard Jimmy quit, Jody got married Should've known we'd never get far But there are literally interviews where Brian Adams said, yeah, that song's about oral sex. So what the fuck, Brian Adams? Now, this is almost like the opposite. This is a song that you think is about something cool and transgressive, but it's actually just something that the songwriter's uh, child said in, uh, you know, a childlike fit. This is a song by the Beatles. I don't know if you've heard of the Beatles. There's certainly no Brian Adams, but uh, Claire's going to sing this one. One, two, three.
Tonight from Loading Ready Run, we have guests from Exploding Kittens. Yeah. But right now, we have a guest from the Nerdalogs and also Cards Against Humanity. Whoa. Claire Friedman. I'm a twofer. Yeah. Claire Friedman, everybody! A note to speakers, a note to speakers, this microphone does not amplify, but it does record, and that helps us very much. So please speak into the microphone as much as you can. I'm going to move it. Um, hi everybody, I'm Claire I apologize for the amount uh, that you'll see me on stage um, Tonight Okay, so uh, the theme of the night is Cards on the Table um, So I'm going to tell a story that I uh, I, I never tell um, And I did not admit to anyone for several years um, Here is a great helpful hint So um, let's pretend none of this is actually about me. Let's pretend it's like, you know, just good advice I'm giving to a young, sprightly girl heading off to college. And maybe she's dating a boy that she had a huge crush on for two years and then finally paid any attention to her. And it was so amazing because, like, not only was there another person who wanted to hang out with her, but, like, also, like, touch uh, her in a human way, which was amazing. Um, it was really, really great. Uh, she, I, let's say I, I, uh, was so into this relationship. It was my, it was everything my first time. Everything was the greatest thing that had ever happened. I was in love. I was crazy about this person. 
And just to give you an idea of the type of relationship it was, I, like, prided myself on being, like, such a cool girlfriend and, like, so chill about everything, you know? And, like, just, like, really into, like, supporting this dude uh, who, uh, when he was uh, that summer away in France, sent me this email. Uh, or an email that included this paragraph. I saw this girl, and she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I was nervous to go up to her, and when I finally got the courage to do so, I got so nervous, I kept walking, and by the time I turned around, she was gone, and I was heartbroken. All I wanted to do was see her again. Fuck. Um, to which I reminded him, uh, I was his girlfriend. And I said, what... What would you, what were you gonna do when you came, when you walked up to her? Like, what did you get rejected about? And he said, ugh, whatever, she probably wouldn't have done it anyway. And I was like, what? <laughs> so he broke up with me several months later. And this is the advice part. This is the part where I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give a few helpful pieces of advice to the people out there who are maybe going through a bad breakup. Okay, advice number one. Um, if after he breaks up to you, with you, uh, you have a series of severe anxiety attacks, uh, don't call an ambulance on yourself. Um, there's not a lot they can do. <laughs> They're just going to tell you it's going to be okay. And then they, and then when your dad calls back the paramedics answer, and that is a hard moment in our lives. Don't buy him a recreation of Braveheart sword for Christmas um, and then pretend that you had already ordered it before you broke up. Um, don't, uh, oh, don't buy him a recreation Braveheart sword for Christmas um, when he's moving to a dorm room in New York the next year. Um, and don't buy him a recreation Braveheart sword from Christmas for Christmas and, uh, and, and give it to him the first time you see him after you break up. Um, don't, uh, don't be persuaded when after he breaks up with the girl that he left you for, uh, he tells you that he never stopped thinking about you. Uh, and don't sleep with him that night. Um, don't look at transferring to schools in New York so you can be closer to him because he told you that he was still in love with you. And then in New York, when you got there, he tells you that he doesn't know why you're acting like you two are still in love. Um, these are just helpful hints for everybody. Um, don't continue to be his best friend and sleep with him for two years after that. Don't... Um, don't give him advice uh, when a girl that he's on a date with drinks too much and passes out in his bathroom. Uh, especially when you were out with friends. Like, don't leave those friends to give this person advice. Don't uh, be the vice president of a company that he started that then got torn apart on the first season of Shark Tank. <laughs> I'll send you the clip. <laughs> Don't, shut up, don't, I'll finish, don't, when you finally, finally decide to call it off, 
don't insist that he still come to your going away dinner. When you, uh, when he comes into town to obviously visit the ex-girlfriend that he left you for, don't cry throughout your entire dinner together. Um, and I think most importantly, most important of anything here, um, when you see his parents back in your hometown, do overemphasize all of your accomplishments. <laughs> and make sure it really gets to him. <laughs> and do learn to let it go. Thanks. Claire Friedman, everybody. You guys are only going to see her one more time on stage tonight, and then maybe just like five more times this weekend. So it's not like it's not that much. Coming up next from Loading Ready Run, Kathleen Devere. Now, this theater is situated in such a way that the speakers have to pass a physical challenge to come up on stage. So that's sweet. But we're doing it, guys. We're doing it live. Oh, that wasn't even the hard one. There's many physical challenges. <laughs> Uh, so, unlike Claire and uh, some of the other people, being Canadian, I'm going to Stuart McLean this shit, which means I have notes, and I'm going to read from notes. Uh, if you don't know who Stuart McLean is, this is original and all me, and don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> but, as you may have noticed, I'm in the process of becoming two people. Uh, so, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, so the nickname for the small human inside me is Tiny Stark. And uh, with Stark being the name of my husband. And it's not that suddenly becoming pregnant has caused me to become an enthusiastic supporter of the patriarchy. Uh, it has this nickname because I am extremely concerned that this kid will end up like me. Uh, I am an unrepentant asshole and um, a gigantic motherfucker. Uh, and the kind of person who accidentally, but also very much on purpose, started a riot when I was in high school. So <clears throat> imagine, if you will... Spring 1998, teenage Kathleen has just discovered punk music and the Dead Kennedys. And while I had a very, very tenuous grasp of world history, why wouldn't you want to take a holiday in Cambodia? It's like tropical and shit. Um, <laughs> I had a deep and passionate understanding that my rights as a Prince George secondary school student were being trampled. See, earlier that year, the school had decided since it was actually legal for kids under 19 to smoke, it didn't make any sense for there to be a designated smoking area complete with ashtrays just behind the cafeteria of our high school. And to teenage me, this decision wasn't logical. It was an unjust, horrible, world-destroying catastrophe because the smoke pit, which was really just a strip of level ground with some concrete benches and ashtrays and not a pit of any kind, uh, was the center of bad kid social life. And it was where all the cutest boys hung out. And that meant boys with long hair and metal band t-shirts to Teenage wow. Kathleen. Uh, and it was where all the punk kids with dyed hair and thrift store clothes talked about all the amazing bands they just discovered, bands like the Ramones, because it was the 90s and we had limited means. Uh, <laughs> and it was also where all the kids who weren't rich enough to be popular or sporty enough to be jocks or quiet and well-behaved enough to be nerds, that was me, uh, hung out. Uh, but it's not like all these kids were just going to stop smoking because they told you you couldn't do it anymore. So the smoke pit moved off, to, off of school grounds. It was now in a grassy area across the street from the school. 
but you couldn't see it directly from any part of the school, and that meant when a teacher or a vice principal had to go and check on what the kids were doing, they had to go into this copse of pine trees that was like on a vacant lot beside the school and try to like peer out from it to spy on us, and it was really annoying and embarrassing for them. So this proposal was like quickly floated to just cut down the, t- the damn trees, because they were never supposed to be there permanently, and they were pretty sure the kids got up to no good in there. And they were very correct, because that copse of pine trees was called the Magic Forest. This is where all the kids at my high school did drugs. The stories of the magic forest were legendary. There's that time Jeremy's brother John took a homemade five-foot-tall bong into the magic forest and smoked weed in there, like, all day. And the time that Trevor brought in his dad's butane torch so he and Simon could do hot knives. (laughs) If you don't know what hot knives are, I suggest you Google it. So, like, I didn't even go in there because I didn't do drugs at this point, and I certainly wasn't going to do drugs at school. But exciting things happened in the magic forest. And so cutting it down wouldn't just be kind of crummy. It would take away a huge source of our entertainment. Um, So, incensed, but well aware that we were being oppressed, uh, I floated an idea with my friend Salem, uh, real name Beth, that we should have a protest. (laughs) Then the man would know that they couldn't cut down our forest without a fight. And after all, the school is the person or the organization that told us to move the smoke pit, so that's their problem, right? So we told all our friends and anybody else who would listen to us that we were going to have a protest on Friday at lunchtime. And Salem and I then, like, raided a cardboard recycling bin and spent hours making, like, ornate, colorful, homemade signs, assuming that carefully made protest signs would lend our event an air of legitimacy. Uh, for me, this was going to be my big moment. I was going to stand up against the fascist school organization. And uh, I brought my portable stereo so we could listen to inspiring Rage Against the Machine tunes. Uh, and I even stayed up late on Thursday night making protest cookies to hand out. They were chocolate chip. Uh, so Friday rolls around, and at the beginning of the lunch hour, Salem and I pass out the signs and cookies. And in retrospect, it was probably a bit much to expect the assembled crowd of, like, skids and punks and metalheads and stoners to give a single shit about freedom or trees. Because what those kids cared about was having even a semi-legitimate excuse not to go back to class after lunch. And since nobody there had ever been to a protest, we didn't actually know what to do. And so we tried to lead some experimental chants, but as more and more kids piled into the area, drawn by the promise of excitement and at least some free cookies, it became clear as a group, which had swelled from like 30 people that would normally be out there to like 100, had no fucking clue what to do. So at this point, this grade 12 kid stood up, and I don't know who he was, but he had a lot of confidence, which is something I did not have. He stood on a rock and yelled, all right, listen up. If we want people to take us seriously, we need to take this to the school board. So let's go. And so we all just sort of moved out. And uh, once we started moving, more students came and joined us. And not because they had suddenly developed any kind of passion for trees or protest movements, uh, but because they sensed it was time to do mischief. Uh, we marched straight down the middle of the road to get to the school board and like this long, meandering trail that disrupted traffic. Uh, a, a local news crew filmed us from an overpass. And then because the school board offices were only about t- t- a 20-minute walk away, uh, they were really close to downtown. We got there pretty quickly. And it was also across the street from our rival uh, high school, Duchess Park. And Duchess Park did not know they were our rival high school because they were an altogether, like, milder and artier and nicer high school filled with better kids. And if they'd stayed to protest, 
They would have had proper chance, better signs, and an assortment of baked goods. Uh, but, but our high school was just kind of like a bunch of scrappy kids who did drugs, and we were not polite and civilized. But so we got to the school board, and we all started piling up there, and this excited teenage energy started to buzz through the air. Oh, my God, guys, we did it. We're protesting. They didn't do anything to us. We got here. We didn't get into trouble. They have to listen to us now. We're invincible. Let's fuck up Dutchess Park. Sorry, what was that last one? Uh, (laughs) And looking back now, I'm like, I should have been horrified at this point, but I was just, like, super excited. Uh, And so this crowd is one sort of changes directions and then rams snake-like through the nearest Dutchess Park High School doors. And overwhelmed by the concept of absolute freedom, we began to run through the halls, yelling and screaming and smashing the glass and all the picture frames. And nobody knew where we were going, so we, like, started down the shop wing and then, like, went upstairs and, like, passed some art classrooms, and then we careened back downstairs, and then suddenly we burst through the gym, breaking up a class of eighth graders playing basketball. And I will remember this image forever. One kid, small and kind of gangly, was wearing glasses and a white T-shirt, and he stood there and opened mouth awe as we streamed past, the basketball still held aloft in his hands. And I caught his eye and screamed, and I am not kidding, Anarchy now! (laughs) 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 He dropped the basketball. (laughs) Suddenly we're out the back doors of the gym and then gathering back in the school board parking lot, having miraculously somehow completed a loop through Duchess Park, and our shouts and cries had become indistinct bongos had appeared somehow. Uh, And then some people started throwing rocks at the school district building, and then somebody else got on the roof, and then the police arrived. Uh, And then the head of the school board came out of the building. What is going on here? She screamed at us, looking for leaders in the anarchic vacuum. Fuck you! We yelled back. (laughs) Somewhere in the front of the crowd, Salem reappeared and volunteered herself as student leader and went inside. Meanwhile, I was like, man, you could not pay me to take responsibility for this and kind of like faded into the background as quickly as I could. Uh, then a fuck the police chant began. Uh, <laughs> and then some girl screamed inaccurately that they, they're using tear gas on us. <laughs> At this point, Chaos reigned, uh, and some kids split off saying they're going to go wreck shit down at City Hall, and uh, I realized I was standing next to some guy I kind of knew named Rob, and he was a year older than me, and he was tall and thin and cute and perpetually stoned, and one of the few people there who probably gave a single shit about trees, uh, and two years later, we would get to second base at a party. Uh, <laughs> but at this point, Rob says, um, do you want to head back to school? He says, very nonchalantly, as there's screams and bongoing, bongos echoing in the background. And I'm like, yeah, right? So we just book it out of there. And we get back at about 2.30, going our separate ways and sliding into our respective classrooms. And at the time, the English teacher I had uh, had been teaching for 35 years, and he was one month away from retirement. Have you been here the whole time? He asked, and I was like, yes. Okay. <laughs> So according to the CBC News report that I proudly taped and showed to my dad when he got home from work, over 150 kids had spontaneously decided to riot, causing thousands of dollars in property damage. And Salem ended up on the news talking about respect and rights and, I don't know, crosswalks for some fucking reason. Uh, but I was never taught, I was never caught, I took no responsibility, and most importantly, I learned nothing. <laughs> Time 
tiny Stark, not a tiny Devere. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen. That was great. Important takeaway from the story. Guys with long hair and metal band t-shirts are cool. I guess, I mean, I guess Jaws could be a metal band, maybe. Guys, the TSA agent and the Hearst rental car guy complimented me on this shirt, so I'm for sure going places. All right. So, we have another guest here from Cards Against Humanity. He does their website stuff, so if you've been to their website, chances are he had a, a hand in it. He also is one of the dudes behind this thing, Black Box, which if you're an indie game designer, you should definitely learn about. This is Henry Birdseye. Yeah! Who I am. Uh, hey everyone, thanks for coming out tonight. Um, this is a story about personal growth and uh, soap. Uh, all right, here it goes. Uh, so May of last year, I got out of a nine-year relationship, um, which meant that in May of last year, uh, I uh, lived alone for the first time. I started uh, dating as an adult for the first time, and uh, I guess I was pretty good at being in a relationship. I was good at cooking for two. If one of us, well, if she got sick, I'd take care of her. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed that part. And then when I lived alone, I was like, oh, what do I do now? i got to cook way too much food and then put some of it away. And then that just seems really stupid. And then uh, if I'm sick, I there's no one cares. It's just me. Uh, this is a true story. I bought a humidifier and put googly eyes on it to to create the illusion of someone giving a shit. Um, so, uh, I like the idea of people being there and taking care of each other. So, um, as I started thinking about dating and getting into dating, I, uh, I was like, you know, if I ever, like, get a lady to, like, come back to my place and spend the night, um... I should, like, have, like, a, like, before she goes to bed, she's going to want to, like, wash her face, right? Like, women wash their face before bed. That's, like, a thing I've seen uh, in, like, nature documentaries or whatever. So I had told myself, like, I should probably go to the store and I should get, like, women's face soap. Obviously, this is a thing every single man has in his home, right? That's not weird. Um, so I... I went to a Target. I was like, I'm going to get some women's face soap, as single men do. And uh, I looked in the soap section. It wasn't in the soap section. I don't know if you know this, fellas, but if you go, like, there's, like, the normal soap. There's, like, the Dove and, then, like, the heavily gendered, like, male soap that makes you smell like a basketball or something. Uh, and it's not over there. That's not where they put that soap at all. I found myself eventually in like the makeup section, which is a very different world. That's where uh, there's like mirrors and they're all magnified. So your pores look like craters and they got these harsh lights that make everyone look like garbage. And I was like, oh, this is where the face soap is for women. Great. And I uh, I look, I, I'm there and I'm clearly like, I'm like very lost. And the clerk sees me and she's like, hey, Fella, what are you, what are you looking to, uh, what are you looking to get there? I was like, um, face soap for a lady so she can wash her face. And then she said, what kind of skin does she have? And I could have said, like, cards on the table, it's not really for, like, a specific lady. I don't know why I'm here. I think I just want to feel like a good, nurturing person, and I miss that. Um, what I actually said to her was medium. She, she, 
<laughs> She's got mediums, like not like too dry, not too oily, but like right in the middle, like real 50th percentile kind of skin. Uh, She's like, all right, idiot. And she just pointed towards something, and I spent too much money. Um, <laughs> side note, uh, as a single dude, um, for Christmas this last year, my dad got me a bag of toothbrushes. Uh, let me explain. The reason for this is twofold. One, he's cleaning house, and I appreciate that. Um, and he, he has his own electric toothbrush, but he still goes to the dentist and he gets all these toothbrushes. He doesn't throw them out. So he just had a bag of toothbrushes. And he's like, hey, son, you're a single man about town. If you have a guest, you should let them brush their teeth. Here's a bag of toothbrushes. Merry Christmas. So this is just a weird time for having new things in my home, whether it be toothbrushes or soaps. So that's kind of what I'm experiencing at the moment. So I buy the face soap and I bring it home and I realize I'm a crazy person. That's a horror. I can't be like, well, hello, thank you. I, well, things seem to be going well. It looks like you're going to be spending the evening with me. I, um, let me get out the soap I bought for you before I met you and you can wash your face. I'm assuming you're going to do that. Um, and so I just got home and like, Immediately, I can't be like, yeah, well, this is the soap I keep for all the women that I have here. Welcome to my sexual bed and breakfast. Um, so I just went home and like threw it under the sink and it's still there. It's been there for over a year. Uh, I've just banished it there out of shame. Uh, so I guess the lesson here is to uh, follow your heart, even if it's really stupid, and uh, you might learn something about yourself. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Man, some important words about soap. Dude, it's true. The Target, like, hygiene sections are very gendered and different and, and scary. It's whole it is. It's a nightmare. Exactly. All right, guys, we have two more speakers tonight. Thank you so much for sticking around. I know things went a little later than usual, but I'm having a really great time. I hope you all are, too. Yeah, one person is. I'll take it. All right, that's like five. That's like, okay. All right, now I'm satisfied. You filled me with glee. Uh, this next gentleman, uh, also part of Loading Ready Run. Also, we played Magic the Gathering together last year, which was a great honor for me. And, man, he, he kicked my ass. But, uh, you know, it happens. I'm actually not that good. I just really like the game. Anyway, this is Graham Stark. All right, it's 2015, and I'm reasonably confident standing on a stage. And that's nice, but it it was not always thus. Um, even though I've spent the last 12 years or so doing video stuff on the internets, uh, I've dabbled in theater before. I played Harrison Howell in a production of Kiss Me Kate. I was the prime minister in a pantomime of Cinderella. And in high school, uh, I was in a uh, student um, issues acting group called Speak, which stood for Student Performers Entertaining and Acting for Kids. <laughs> we literally did the thing where we're all in black t-shirts and jeans and we do the bit on why it's not okay to use gay as a pejorative by circling the guy playing the gay character yelling obscenities at him and he just gets smaller in the middle of the stage but, but before all of that my first role on stage was in grade 3 
because every year my grade three teacher with her class did a play about the rainforest, about the Amazon rainforest, because it's getting ripped apart and torn down and it's awful and we need to raise awareness of that. She did this every single year and no one noticed because the, the grades did not talk to each other. <laughs> so it wasn't until grade seven where we saw some other people dressed like rainforest animals and we're like, does she do that every year? <laughs> she does. So, okay. And I was really into this because I've, I love to entertain. I've always, I always have and I wanted to and I was like, yeah, we're in a play. This is going to be great. Awesome. So, you know, we all auditioned and the teacher assigned us parts. And I was apparently not good enough to be the boa constrictor, uh, or the tapir, or even the peccary pig. No, I was relegated to the rainforest play chorus line, the ants. <laughs> Me and eight other poor bastards who didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there. I was gung-ho for doing something. But we all got the ants. And I was like, oh. And everyone else, they came on stage... And they acted like their animal. The snake was all very sort of lithe. And the, the pig, like, snuffled about. It was like, I am the pig, the peccary pig. And with my nose, I dig and I dig. And then they got to snuffle around on stage for a while. The ants, we walked out, we said seven lines, and we left again. And I thought, no, no, this will not do. I want to make something of my part. So I said, well, hey, this is the rainforest. We can be army ants. Right? And then, because I've seen that one Monty Python sketch where there's a general guy, I can be like General Ant. I can create a whole new role for myself. So, after badgering the teacher repeatedly, she finally capitulated and said, Fine, Graham, fine, you can be Army Ants, whatever. Just like make sure you say the, the lines that are actually supposed to be there. So my costume, by the way, anyone who had to be an ant, this now involuntarily volunteered their parents uh, to make a costume where you had the one arm and then the second dangly arm uh, so that it looked like we had uh, six limbs. So my costume is now all black, pantyhose out the side attached by elastics to my upper arms, a cap with a red band, and a stick. I don't know why. I saw it in a Python sketch. The general guy had a stick under his arm, like a riding crop. Why? I don't know. I'd never seen the military before. <laughs> and so we stand, we start the scene, we stand off stage, and I'm like, company, march! And we march onto stage, and I'm, it's all very like, yeah, we're the military, we're on stage, we're the army ants. And then we get there, we are the ants, we are the ants. We are the workers, no time for dance, or for song, or for fun. There's work to be done. We eat up the leaves, we eat up the fruit, we eat and return good soil to its root, the forest floor, the forest floor. About face! Back and off the stage again. That was both my first time on stage and the most I have ever done to help the Amazon rainforest. Thank you, Graham. Guys, did you all know that Graham was the inspiration for Woody Allen's character in Ants? We all did. That's, wouldn't that be awesome if that was true? 
I wish it was true. All right, we have one more speaker. Uh, he is one of the, the gentlemen behind the most successful Kickstarter of all time. A little game called Exploding Kittens, which happens to be being sold in this theater during, uh, during the day here, along with some other games by people like Cards Against Humanity and, I don't know, the Nerdalogs, just to name a, a random group. But uh, for now, from Exploding Kittens, Mr. Elon Lee. So, um, a little while ago, uh, I was at a meeting and, uh, had a house guest and he called me up and he's like, um, hey dude, you better come home cause the FBI is here and they really want to talk to you. <laughs> Never a good sign. But immediately I thought, oh man, they must have found the underground meth lab. I gotta run home and burn everything. And I remembered that was just a show I saw on TV once and my real life is actually way less interesting than that. <laughs> So, so I thought, okay, uh, what's, what's up here? And the guy left a card for me, and I looked at the card, and I thought, oh shit, this isn't just the FBI. This is the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Like, what the hell do these guys want with me? What have I done this time? And, uh, Immediately, I thought, oh, it's got to be something with airplanes, right? I'm on airplanes all the time, and the TSA has got all these rules about what you can and cannot bring on an airplane. And they've got that, that one rule about three ounces, right? Like, you can't bring any anything on a plane more than three ounces. And there's that one deodorant I really, really like that I just bought. And if I remember correctly, that was a little bit more than three ounces. And, uh, shit, I know exactly how bad this is about to go. Um, and I... Took a deep breath, and I thought, okay, before I freak out about any of this, um, what I really ought to do is get a little bit more information. So I look at the card, and I turn the card over, and the guy leaves his phone number with the message, pulls, call me. And I thought, well, at the very least, I can take some solace in knowing that uh, my hard-earned tax dollars are going to fund an organization that shares a sense of humor with lolcats. And so uh, I look at this number... And uh, I call the guy up, and I'm like, hey, I'm Alan, you left your card, what's this all about? And he said, uh, were you on an airplane on this particular day going to this particular place? And I was like, um, I don't know. I'm on airplanes all the time, literally like once a week. Uh, so there's a very good chance. And he said, uh, well, what seat were you sitting in? And I was like, I have no idea what seat I was sitting in. However, I'm pretty sure I was sitting in a window seat, because I always sit in window seats. And he said... A window seat, you're sure? And I said, yeah, pretty sure. And he said, okay, we need to talk. I'll be at your office tomorrow. And then he hung up. And I never told him where I worked. So that was really weird. And I thought, I know exactly what's about to happen. This is really bad. But prison is okay. I can deal with prison. I've seen all the movies. I know what you do. You go and you find the biggest, burliest guy you can. And you walk up to him and you punch him right in the face because then everybody knows you're crazy. And then no one's going to mess with you. And then you can take showers and drop the soap and it's no big deal. Prison, I can deal with prison. Glass half full. Awesome. So uh, the next day, I go to work. And uh, I'm expecting these guys to show up. And they do. And they show up. And uh, the first question, because I've seen those movies, is I was like, let me see a badge. And they show me a badge. And I realized I have no idea what an FBI badge looks like. <laughs> so I'm like, cool, all right, come on back. And I uh, asked them if I could take their picture, because I suspected that this might be a pretty cool story someday, and I wanted to show you guys what they looked like. And they said, absolutely not, you cannot take our picture. So I scoured the internet, trying to find a picture that matched my mental image of what these dudes looked like when they came into my office unannounced, uh, and this was the best I could come up with. <laughs> so, um, 
they're pretty intimidating, and they take me back, and uh, we sit down, and they ask me all kinds of questions. They want to know what airplane I was on, and where did I sit, and who did I talk to, and what did I order, and how often am I on these airplanes, and on and on they go, until they finally ask one question, one very, very important question, which is, do you have an app on your phone with a live updating map of the United States? Oh, I know exactly what this is. This is Strut. If you guys don't know, Strut is like my favorite app in the world. This is a thing that runs on your iPhone, and the way it works is uh, it covers the entire planet in these little black tiles. And collectively, we're trying to unlock all these tiles. And the way you unlock a tile is you just travel over it. You walk, you run, you're in a boat, you're in a car, whatever. You move over a tile, you unlock it. We're trying to unlock the entire planet. It's a really fun game. It's really hard. I play it everywhere I go. Um, I'm really good at this game. I'm embarrassingly good at this game. I'm ranked number two in the world at this game. Yeah. Except, right, thank you, except for freaking Captain Robusto, who is clearly cheating at this game somehow. I have not figured out how. Uh, but I'm on to him. We're getting there. Um, so uh, I play this game a lot. And the best play, the best way to play this game is on airplanes. Because airplanes, you cover a whole lot of distance. Uh, and you do it really, really quickly. The problem with airplanes is uh, your phone on an airplane has really, really poor GPS. So what you do, you take your phone, you put it up against the window, where GPS is just a little bit better. That tends to work. The problem is uh, the app is a little buggy and it crashes a lot and keeping your phone up there uh, tends to drain the battery really fast and you constantly want to make sure that it's on so you get a whole bunch of extra batteries. Uh, wires, batteries. Now, the problem with that is now the app is on and it's connected to power and so the screen stays on and there's a little countdown in the corner showing you how many tiles you've got at all time. So my setup looks like this. And um, someone saw this, and they called the freaking FBI. <sighs> so, back to our story. So I explain all this uh, to these guys, and uh, <laughs> the, the really, the, you know, they're mostly serious. But at this point, even the most serious of the guys is starting to crack just a little bit of a smile. Um, that's just sort of uh, for illustration purposes, what he actually looked like staring me down was closer to this. The guy's staring at me, trying really hard not to smile, but he's staring me down, and he's just, like, expectantly, just just making, won't break eye contact with me, and I look at him, and I was like, sir, I, I gotta know, do I, do I have a problem here? Do I need to call a lawyer or anything? And he says, I, I don't, I don't think you're a threat to the United States of America. <laughs> unless there's anything else you'd like to tell me. And I thought really hard about it. All these thoughts went through my head. And I said, no. And he said, cool. And they went home. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you so much, man. Give it up for Elon Lee, everybody. Man. Stands before us today a free person... Because he is not a threat to the United States. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is being recorded, so we probably shouldn't say things that might implicate him further. 
Guys, thank you so much for sticking around. This was wonderful. We do this once a month in Chicago. It's really cool to go to other cities and get a warm reception from people like you all. So give yourselves a hand. Give a hand to everybody who talked tonight. Because they were all super great. This is a really good show. Brief, but you know, at 11.30 at night, that's not uh, that's not really a problem. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so this is what we're going to leave you guys with. This is a song that everyone thinks is about uh, a bar closing up, but actually apparently is about the birth of a child, the uh, singer later revealed. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, that's why we so picked he, it. He wrote the song, yeah. uh, but he knew his band probably didn't want to play a song about his kid. So he disguised it so well that uh, most people don't know it's about his kid's birth. Yeah, and listen, we're going to need you guys to sing along. It's not going to be hard, trust me.
proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like your stories, you might also enjoy friendshipping. Hosts Jen and Trin discuss friendship, particularly between ladies. They tackle the tricky stuff, like how can I make friends as an adult, how to end a toxic friendship, and more. Friendshipping can be found on iTunes, as well as friendshipping.simplecast.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.